Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, hello. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable, where three of our top political reporters are here to make some sense of what happened this week in our nation's capital. And across the nation, of course, it's Groundhog Day. By the way, um, the Groundhog did not see his shadow this morning, which supposedly means an early spring. But in Washington, every day is Groundhog Day because the same old stuff keeps happening every day. Again this week, it looked like a historic bipartisan deal on the border was in the works until at the last minute it was scuttled by naked partisanship. Again this week, the House roared into impeachment mode, this time not against state president but for only the second time in history against a cabinet secretary. Again this week, Nikki Haley insisted that she's got the resources and staying power to beat Donald Trump, yet she's 26 points behind in her home state of South Carolina. And again this week, wacky MAGA conspiracy theories fill the air, all of these, believe it or not, this week circling around Taylor Swift. So let's get to the bottom of it all with today's outstanding panel, Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief and White House Politics Correspondent for Christian Science Monitor. Hello, Linda. Hi, Bill. Arthur Delaney, I'm political reporter at HuffPost. Hello, Arthur. Hello. And Jeff Dufer, Editor-in-Chief of the National Journal. Hello, Bill. All right, let's start, panelists, with the biggest threat to, the, to democracy that this country probably has ever seen. We're going to hear it. We've seen it and heard about it on Newsmax and OAN and on Fox News, but this is from Benny Johnson on YouTube. He's got 1.7 million subscribers and he lays it out. Out of the blue, suddenly Taylor Swift's the most famous person on earth. (laughs) Now she's at every NFL game with her boyfriend who's backed by Bud Light and Pfizer. Sure seems planned. Sure seems like something that is like concocted in order to accelerate the fame of these two people, get them to the Super Bowl. And there's going to be like some type of proposal at the after the Super Bowl is rigged for the Chiefs. And then the two of these people reach like crazy levels of absolute fame. And then they take all that fame and then they use that in order to try and save Joe Biden. Uh, Jeff Dufer, (laughs) I want to ask you a question that I always wanted to ask when I was on CNN, okay? And the question is, does anybody believe this shit? (laughs) (laughs) I I was just going to say, Benny Johnson, nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Um, I have a couple comments. Number one, when did Benny Johnson start sounding so much like Tucker Carlson (laughs) with his cadence and the and the high voice cracking and all that um number two 
I would point out that there was a, a, a spate of coverage a couple of years ago pointing out how, especially among the real Bieber Swamp, uh, 4chan, 8chan corners of the internet and the white supremacists, Taylor Swift was put on a pedestal as like the ultimate white Aryan woman. Mm. So I think a lot of this stems from pure jealousy that she has another boyfriend and it's not um, the guy in his basement pouring over for Chan. <laughs> that's my, that's my hot take, but they're jealous of Travis Kelsey. But Arthur, if you take on Taylor Swift, the most popular entertainer in the world and football at the same time, is that kind of political suicide? It's very stupid. And I think it's, it's, it's likely that Benny Johnson does not believe what he's saying. Uh, we know a lot about, I know I've followed his career and it's a, a clear case of someone who has essentially optimized his entire persona to go where internet traffic and engagement will, will follow. So he's saying things that he knows will get a lot of attention, partly because they're so obviously ridiculous. And because I'm a reporter, uh, I, I probed how far, how much reach does this <laughs> nonsense have? And so I, I spoke to members of Congress. I spoke to Marjorie Taylor Greene oh. on Tuesday. And I, I said, you know, you're the most online Republican in the House. And, I, you know, I'm sure you've seen this. What do you think? And she said, yeah, she'd seen it and she didn't want to engage with it. Uh, she said when she watches football, she's just watching the game. Uh, she said Taylor Swift's a, a, a famous artist, and I guess she's dating a football player. So this this stuff is too crazy for the the wildest and craziest member of of Congress. So that that's that tells you something. If it's too crazy for Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's really got to be crazy, right? But Linda, some people say that, that this whole thing started because the White House leaked that they were actually trying to get Taylor's endorsement like they had in 2020. Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, I think everybody is being really smart here. I mean, yes, the conspiracy theories are nuts, but people love conspiracy theories and it draws attention to Benny Johnson and um, Mike Crispy, uh, the pro-Trump podcast host who's, you know, all the, it, it gains followers, right? So if everybody engages, it's fun, it's harmless, it get it. You earn followers, and then you can get to the really meaty stuff that might be serious. But on the larger point, Taylor Swift really does represent, I think, a threat to Donald Trump. I mean, look at what she did last September. She put up an Instagram post um, linking to Vote.org, and the site registered more than thirty-five thousand new voters. So she's she's the real deal. She she can be helpful to to Joe Biden. So what you're saying, you think part of it is um, they're afraid that her endorsement would do some damage. Yes, and I think it could. I, you know, I mean, on the one hand, people don't pay attention to endorsements, but if she's going out and, and calling on people to register to vote, and then, you know, making her case for Biden, not overtly campaigning necessarily, but just, uh, you know, saying supportive things, I, I actually think it could help. Mm -hmm. And she, she's endorsed Democrats before, including Joe right. Biden, to, to not much effect. Like she she endorsed against Marsha Blackburn, who's now senator from Tennessee. Right. But she's more powerful now. 
something. She's at the right. she's at the height of her fame, and it's different. So right, I mean, you can't draw a direct line between an endorsement and votes, but I think her just her engagement and her um, her urging people to vote. I mean, there's a concern in this election about um, a lack of enthusiasm by yeah. by young mm-hmm. voters, by progressives, and you know, there's fear that they're going to vote for a third party candidate, but there's also fear that they're just going to stay on the couch. Biden's opponent is the couch. By the way, Jeff, uh, as Arthur mentioned, uh, Taylor Swift endorsed Biden in 2020. You know, I don't even remember that. I don't think it had, (laughs) it wasn't a big deal at the time. Right. And so it seems that if they just ignored Taylor Swift, they'd be better off. Well, it's a lot harder to ignore her now than it was four years ago because she is the, the the monoculture is almost dead. Uh, the, the two things that almost everybody can agree on to your earlier point are football and Taylor Swift. Uh, that's almost the only elements of the monoculture that are left. Um, it was, I know this via osmosis because of my wife and children, but there was a big moment in the Taylor Swift documentary a couple years back where she endorsed Biden. And I think she came out against Marsha Blackburn in her, yeah, home right. state of Tennessee. And that was, you know, her her management didn't want her to do it. She did it. So I would assume, given all that, that she'll probably come out and endorse him again, whether or not she, you know, does a, a, a fundraising concert to support him is another uh, is another matter. Um, but she'll she'll be political. Well, OK, let's get back down to earth here now. Um, <laughs> Arthur, I want to come back to you with. Uh, let's, what's happening in Congress, particularly in the Senate, on all the negotiations. And we're told that today we may see the fi- final language on this border deal, some more money for the border, and then some money for Ukraine and Israel. Um, and yet, as the Republican leader, as he's been trying to put this together, James Langford says, uh, he's suddenly getting hammered by his fellow Republicans who wanted a deal in the first place, let me let Senator Langford explain what's going on, his take, and then Arthur, yours. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. Uh, so- Sounds like he's right, Arthur. It's it's good analysis. It was clear from the start that Republicans um, have a a useful political a cudgel with the the problem at the southern border being overwhelmed uh, by migrants, and uh, you know it's a clear incentive not to fix it. And so that that's what I thought all along, anyway. But it, but now uh, it it's made them look dishonest. I mean, it's exposed the dishonesty if they really aren't willing to go along with this deal. But we don't know what will happen. Uh, they're clearly working against it at the highest levels, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson, Donald Trump. But Mike Johnson, uh, this week when he talked about it, he's not he's not exactly ruling out uh, allowing a vote on this. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a difficult situation to predict what will happen. And we're, we're waiting for, for bill texts to come out and... Uh, it can pass the Senate and the House with right-wingers disliking it. So we'll, we have to wait and see. But the di- the political dynamic that Langford described, it, it's that's exactly what's going on. Uh, and Linda, what's the White House view on this? Um, 
that as a disaster, or this is something they can turn around and use to their advantage if Republicans kill this deal. This is a very dangerous issue for um, for Joe Biden's reelection prospects. Some polls show this as the number one issue in the election. And um, they're fighting a lot of uh, misinformation and disinformation. I mean, uh, you know, Mike Johnson and other right-wing Republicans say they oppose this emerging deal because it would allow 5,000 migrants to illegally cross the southern border every day, which isn't true. But it's hard to fight an easy soundbite with with a nuanced explanation of what the bill would do. Um, so I, I think they're, you know, you have to be optimistic, but you can't, you have to also be realistic and you have to fight like heck to, uh, to correct the lies that are being told. Uh, And Jeff, I was surprised that the president said he would sign this bill, um, even before we'd seen it. Uh, but not only that, that he would shut down the border using the authority in this bill, uh, which is a change of course for Biden. Yeah. And he, uh, frankly, he, he pissed off a lot of the folks on his left flank by saying that, um, which in an election year is, is the kind of thing you have to do. Um, I, I do question as far as the Republicans go on a policy matter. If you say that this is, a a crisis at the border, as they've been saying for months and, and years, and you are offered this half a loaf, let's say, how much better a deal are you ever going to get when you can only lose two votes in the House? Um, the, the president has essentially uh, caved. The, the Senate has caved to a lot of your demands. Um, do you want any deal at all, or do you want a political issue? Um, I, I've been struck this week that a lot of times we see this play out subtly, where they wonder, uh, or, or they they wonder how whether they want to give the president a win in his election year, but they're being explicit about it. Uh, even Chuck Grassley, uh, who's been a pretty serious legislator, are explicitly saying that we may not want to give Biden a win here in his in his election year. Um, so they're they're just coming right out and saying it. Yeah, uh, Chuck Grassley said it yesterday, right? Um, yeah, we want to fix the border, but we don't want to do it now because it might help Joe Biden, right? He said he said that about uh, he said that to me about uh, the tax yes, bill. Yes, it was about the tax bill, and, and I, I'm sorry, Arthur, you're right. It was it was to you. Want uh, you know they have this tax bill that would give a, a bigger child tax credit refund to millions of households, and he was like, well, we don't want to let Joe Biden send out checks and get reelected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Arthur, stay right there. On your, back to the sentence, but because this is related, um, one of the people they're dealing with in terms of border policy, of course, is the HHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. At the same time, Republicans in the House are intent. They're going to impeach him. The committee, uh, whatever the committee is, Homeland Security, Homeland Security. I think it is, right, yeah. voted yeah. to do so. That vote could be on the House floor next week. Does Mike Johnson have the votes, Arthur? It's not clear that he does. Uh, one one interesting dynamic here is that a lot of prominent conservative voices have said there's no high crime or misdemeanor here. You're just mad at this guy for using his discretion in border policy enforcement and immigration policy. And that is uh, ex- explicitly not what 
the founders envisioned for, for the impeachment power. And that argument is getting through to at least one lawmaker. I talked to yesterday, Ken Buck from Colorado, Republican, who's not on the Homeland Security Committee, but he said he will definitely not support the impeachment. And depending on how many absences they have on a given day, Ken Buck's no vote could prevent them from, <laughs> from right. uh, approving these articles. So it's not clear that Mike Johnson has the votes. There's a couple other guys who said they're undecided about whether they'd support it. So that's all it would take, a few guys, maybe yeah. even one guy, depending on attendance. And Ken Buck has been one of the most outspoken critics of the secretary as well. And he's, he's made that point. What he said to me was, he's awful. I hate him. <laughs> and this just isn't what impeachment's for. This is maladministration, but it's not corrupt. You know, it's not treason, bribery, or high crimes or misdemeanors. Right. Um, Jeff, here is another congressman from New York, a Democrat, Dan Goldman, basically calling out the Republicans for not having uh, the goods. If, in fact, as you allege here, there were false statements made to Congress or obstruction of Congress, those are crimes. You could have charged him with those, but you didn't want to because you knew you couldn't actually prove them. So, Jeff, strong argument. Yeah, this is this has been talked about uh, for, for a, a good chunk of last year uh, that there were that there were false statements that Mayorkas had made about the border and that that could form the basis for impeachment. And it was telling to Goldman's point that none of those were contained within the articles of impeachment. So now it does just look like a policy difference. Uh, and going forward, this just means that I impeachment increasingly is just becoming uh, part of doing business. Uh, you know, go back to 30 years to, to Robert Bork. Um, Supreme Court justices used to get 95 votes. Now they don't anymore. The filibuster now changed for judicial nominees. Uh, and now impeachment is just a uh, part of the cost of doing business in, in, in each Congress. Uh, somebody's going to get impeached, whether or not they're removed and, and, and convicted is another matter. Uh, but now impeachment is just another political issue. Yeah. And Linda, the whole thing started, remember, um, they were going to impeach Joe Biden, right? right. The whole right. move was impeach Joe Biden. It almost looks like, well, we can't do Biden, even though they haven't admitted that. So I guess we'll just do a secretary. What the hell? Right. right. No, exactly. I mean, some people think this is a dry run for impeaching Joe Biden, but the White House is like, bring it on. Right. I think I mean, it helps Joe Biden if it I mean, a lot of people aren't happy with his performance. A majority of Americans aren't happy. But, you know, th this idea, this 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 practice of impeachment theater to the American public, it's just noise and it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help Republicans. It doesn't help Democrats. So, uh, yeah, but Mayorkas, uh, I mean, Chertoff's um, piece in the Wall Street Journal defending him was frankly quite compelling and, and really made the case for uh, why this is theater. Um, I mean, he pointed out that, the, you know, the conditions are just not in place to have sufficient border protection. The U.S., doesn't have the capacity, the bed, the bed capacity, or the funding to detain every immigrant, and so uh, legislation is desperately needed. But we're we're not in a position to go there. Well, speaking of theater, there's certainly still a lot of high theater on the uh, campaign trail. Let's take a quick break. When we come back um, with today's panel, 
We'll take a look at the latest on the national political scene with Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor, Arthur Delaney from HuffPost, and Jeff Dufer from the National Journal. And today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, great members of the AFT under President Randy Weingarten. They are involved in every level of public education, from preschool through K through 12 through higher education. You know, every one of us is where we are today. Every one of us has benefited from some great teacher in our lives or several of them. We're grateful for their good work. Grateful for all the work they do in classrooms and outside of classrooms around the country every day during the Lord's work. And here we are particularly grateful for their long-term support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at aft.org. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back here on the Bell Press Pod on this Friday, February 2nd, with today's roundtable. Today's panelists, Jeff Dufer, Editor-in-Chief, National Journal, Arthur Delaney, political reporter at HuffPost, and Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor, also covers the White House for the Christian Science Monitor. February 2nd, Friday, the new job numbers are out. They are pretty strong, 353,000 new jobs uh, reported in January, keeping the unemployment rate at 3.7%. Um, Arthur, that's uh, a number the White House could brag about. It's phenomenal. I mean, we were certain last year that there was going to be a recession, and it's just nowhere near recession territory. And consumer confidence has begun to turn around thanks to the stock market and inflation going down. You know, there are commercials on TV from, from big grocers saying inflation's going down, so we're keeping our prices from going up. And uh, it's obviously tremendous news for the incumbent in the in the White House. And I think it's reflected in the increasing focus on immigration and other weird stuff by Republicans 
in in Congress and uh, you know in in the uh, right wing media. Yeah, so, in fact, um, the president yesterday was out at the um, meeting with the uh, sort of a little campaign rally, really, with the United Auto Workers who have endorsed him for reelection. Um, he's had some problems, Linda, maybe figuring out how to talk about the economy. The Bidenomics phrase didn't kind of work. Uh, but yesterday, uh, he took a new approach, a pretty direct approach to how the economy is doing. Here's the president yesterday with the UAW. We now have, in large part because of you and organized labor, the strongest economy in the whole damn world. So, Linda, <laughs> I kind of says it directly. There it is, right? Yeah. So Joe Biden can say that all he wants, but but people have to feel it, right? They need to feel that things are getting better, that their paycheck uh, is enough to cover the higher price of groceries, even though inflation the inflation rate has gone down, it's still above where the Fed wants it to be. It's still above 2%, well above 2%. We're at 3.1, I think. And, uh, you know, you can't tell voters to feel better about their economic situation. That said, I think the, the continuing strong jobs numbers and, uh, the you know, the, the fact that we didn't go into recession is... Uh, for Joe Biden's re-election, a lagging indicator. I think they've got time uh, to set the narrative in voters' heads. People, the, the average voter hasn't quite tuned in yet, believe it or not. I know we're all living and breathing it, but <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, they they say that that people's sense of how the how the how the country is doing, how the economy is doing, that really sets in maybe around May or June. So. The conditions are certainly in place for uh, the president to have a comeback. And, you know, the press loves a good comeback story. Jeff, is it still a case of um, it's the economy, stupid? Uh, to the extent that this is a normal American election, yes. The, ju the jury is out on whether this is going to be a normal American election. There's this, there's this theory of the case coming out of the Biden camp now that it's that this is this election is going to run somewhat like Obama's re-election or even Reagan's re-election, where a year out the economic numbers were iffy, the president's approval was lagging, but give it a year, it'll bounce back. The president's numbers will improve accordingly, and then on election day, we'll be fine. Now, they would also say that to the extent that this election gets weird and Trump is convicted, et cetera, that, that also helps them, but they're, they're viewing it as a, as a, as a tortoise in the hair race where, where they're the tortoise. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so let's look at the race as we see it today. Um, Nikki Haley, again, yesterday, she keeps ramping up her, her criticism of Donald Trump. And yet the latest poll that I showed this morning in South Carolina, she is still 26 behind Donald Trump in her home state where, of course, she was governor. Um, Arthur, is, is this just, uh, and she's skipping the Nevada caucuses this week, right? Uh, is it just a matter of time before Nikki fades out, or how do you see it? I think the theory of her campaign is that she should stick around in case something except in case some external thing dramatically changes the situation. Like she's not going to win these states, uh, but 
she's the only alternative at this point. And we're, we're in uncharted territory with all the criminal charges. And you know, perhaps people will notice that Donald Trump is uh, uh, constantly committing crimes and they'll decide that that's bad. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> right um at the same time uh linda it looks like i mean it doesn't look like biden is ramping up his campaign right sending two people to wilmington to really get the campaign going being more out like on the campaign trail um yesterday you were with him um during pool duty on on a recent campaign swing uh and he picked up on a criticism of, that Nikki Haley has been making uh, that Donald Trump may be losing it, actually posting this ad, a little montage of Donald Trump. This is an ad that the Biden campaign placed on Truth Social, Donald Trump's uh, answer to Twitter. Um, and this starts out with an ad, by the way, a little quote from John Carl from ABC News. And the rest is Donald Trump. Here it is. Donald Trump is truly confused. Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. They don't want to talk about that. He didn't just get me confused. He mentioned it over and over and over again. He's not what he was in 2016. He has declined. That's a fact. I mean, we won last time. We won 50 states, right? We are an institute. In a powerful death penalty, we will put this on. I think he's declining. You have voter ID to buy a loaf of bread. You have, you have ID to buy a loaf of bread. Have you noticed? He's a little confused these days. Aha, Linda. <laughs> a, a pretty bold to go into Donald Trump's own website and run that ad. But what does it say about the Biden campaign? What are you hearing at the White House? Well, the the Biden campaign is they'll they'll take whatever they can get. And when Donald Trump <laughs> does something weird and wrong and, you know, uh, off key, uh, like like confusing Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi, they're going to go for it. Um, and this is a little bit of sort of Trumpian whataboutism, right? Because Joe Biden is regularly accused of being senile and and he does misspeak, but he's he's always been a. He's always done that. So that's nothing new. Um, but but the, this issue of Nikki Haley staying in the race is so interesting. I mean, for the, uh, for starters, she wants to take this through her home state where she's not doing well at all, which is embarrassing. But she doesn't want to be seen as a quitter. She's playing for 2028. Um, I don't think she'll be the running mate. Uh, but, you know, this idea that some at some exogenous event that some meteor is going to strike down Donald Trump. There's always that possibility. He's 77. He has, you know, he's overweight. But, you know, trials, the trials (laughs) are his biggest vulnerability. But they're not, the first one isn't set to start until March 25th. So I don't think, and, you know, when when will he, if he's to be convicted, when will that happen? I don't know. It's possible no convictions take place before election day. So I think that's kind of pie in the sky. But if you're Nikki Haley and you're having a good ride and you're building name recognition among voters, why not stay in? So well, if I if, if yeah. I may add to that, I I agree with with Linda and Arthur, but I would just as a devil's advocate to Nikki Haley, I think her strategy is exactly that, to stay in until maybe the party realizes that, hey, we don't want Trump as our guy at the convention. She goes into the convention with the second most delegates and she's the obvious second choice. But 
I'm not convinced the party is ever going to make that determination. Even if even if Trump is convicted and he's awaiting sentencing and the polls show that that's incredibly damaging and he's going to lose, I don't think the party kicks him out and risks the backlash of their 60% of the party who is going to riot and make noise. Uh, well, I wanted to come to that next, and I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you raised that. And Arthur and Linda both indicated too. There is this possible conviction, right? Cloud that cloud hanging over Donald Trump's head. Look, the polls on Biden versus Trump are all over the place. Um, Quinnipiac is out this week saying Biden is up over Trump by six points, fifty to forty-four. CNN is out this morning saying that Trump is up over Biden by four points, 49 to 45. But Jeff and Linda and Arthur, the poll that I'd like you each to comment on, Bloomberg News and Morning Consult came out. They looked at, with a poll this week, they went to seven battleground states. We know what they are. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. 53% of voters in those seven states said, they would never vote for somebody who'd been convicted of a felony. So, um, Jeff, what do you mean that wouldn't make any difference? I don't think it would make a lot of difference for the Republican Party. Um, I don't see them yanking this nomination away from Trump uh, at the convention, after the convention, what have you. I think they would hold their nose and go down and watch the ship go down um, with, with, with them on it. Arthur, even... Do you agree, Arthur, even if they know that in the seven states they have to win, uh, 53% of the people say they never vote for Trump? They said it, but when the time comes, uh, it's I, I imagine it's another thing that would be polarized. If he, if he were convicted or if, or if the trial created uh, you know massive attention on his crimes, uh, I, I think that voters who are predisposed to like him uh, a lot of them would still like him, uh, and you know he would say it's a witch hunt. But I, I don't know. It's this is yeah. unprecedented, and I, I do think it's plausible that it would actually hurt him. Yeah, Linda. All these. This is all decided on the margin. So most Trump supporters, most MAGA voters, will stick are with Trump to the bitter end. So uh, you know, a conviction is just more a deep state uh, persecution of Donald Trump, but. The, the, with the independents, with the soft Trump voters, it's it is a bridge too far. So I think if, especially if we're looking at swing states, which are in some ways mm -hmm. the states that really matter, then it is important. Um, you know, Donald Trump. They, I mean, I was just just spent a week and a half in New Hampshire. I was just in South Carolina with Biden. Um, you know, people hate this choice. They don't want either of these guys when push comes to shove. But uh, you know, Donald Trump. A convicted Donald Trump would be just so damaged, I think, in, in the eyes of enough voters that it really does matter. And I want to end with not, a, not an upbeat note at all, but a very sad note, uh, and get each of you to reflect on what's going on today uh, in the field of journalism. We saw yesterday, um, it was compared to a neutron bomb being dropped in the Wall Street Journal, particularly the Washington Bureau of the Wall Street Journal. Um, dozens of people fired following over 100 people, I think, fired at the LA Times last week, following the messenger um, being shut down entirely this week. 
I saw a number that 538 journalism jobs were lost in January alone. Um, and this, this is across the board. Jeff, this is really, really troubling for, for all of us, right, in the journalism field. It is. I mean, in the last two weeks, three former colleagues of mine have lost their jobs. Um, the Messenger is undoubtedly the most egregious uh, of the examples. Uh, yes, we all recognize that it helps to have uh, rich guys financing journalism. Uh, but in this case, the rich guy, Jimmy Finkelstein, went into it seemingly with, with a, a plan that was doomed to fail from the start, a business model that was never going to work, and uh, essentially lured all these journalists from other places and yeah. fed them or, or, or walked them off the plank. Um, it was business malpractice, I think, as, as Jim Vandehei said, he was quoted. So that's, that's the one that really hurt because I, I knew a couple people over there and it was like the writing was on the wall six months ago. You just knew that this was never going to work. They were never going to make the numbers that they thought they were. Um, Arthur, I'm glad you're still on the job, but um, it must make a lot of people nervous. And uh, again, all of us have friends who've been caught up in this. It's Econ 101 that you uh, increase the supply of something that it, it can reduce its value. So it's a direct threat to me and, and uh, every other working reporter. And But I want to be clear that it's not just happening for no reason. This is a political economy that our government, that we have chosen essentially uh, in which giant uh, tech companies are sucking up all the advertising revenue. And so the uh, company, uh, news companies are, are less and less able to sustain themselves by selling advertising because we're letting those companies just dominate that market. So that's what's happening. It's, it, this is a, a political choice that we've made over the years. And it's not something that is... Uh, like automatic or natural or necessary or irreversible. It makes everybody nervous, Linda. Everybody in the business nervous, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we're all looking at the the sort of economic health of our own organizations and where they might want to be. And and I think we're seeing this all happen at the same time because no no news outlet, no business wants to get the big headline. So once once a big tree falls, a lot of other little trees fall in behind and hope nobody notices. Yeah, there's some groupthink, I, I suspect. Yes. yes. Yeah, really, really sad. Well, um, somehow, I hope it all turns around um, because it does speak, I think, to the importance of freedom of the press and a free and independent uh, news operation. And the more we see people taken off of that job, I think uh, the, the, the greater danger to our democracy, as I see it at any rate. And with that, a great big thank you to our today's today's panel, Linda Feldman from Christian Science Monitor, Arthur Delaney, HuffPost, and Jeff Dufer from the National Journal. Before we let you off into the weekend, however, uh, we always ask you, what was the one story this week that kind of made you stop for a couple of seconds anyhow and think about it or laugh about it or cry about it? Um, Jeff Dufer, what caught your attention? Well... Yes, 500 journalists lost their jobs in January, but Jim DeFeedy reminded us all why we still need them 
<laughs> who, who is Jim DeFeedy, you might ask? I was going to ask you. Well, uh, he is a local TV reporter in Miami. And this week, he interviewed Congresswoman Maria Salazar, who apparently thought she was going to get a softball interview. Not so. I think we have some audio of that. Last month, you were at FIU and you presented a check for $650,000 to help small businesses at FIU. But you voted against the bill that gave the money that you then signed a check for and handed and had a photo op, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. Right? You voted against that bill. Listen, I, right now, I need, to, I need to ask my staff. <laughs> and on and on it went. About how she voted against the chips bill and then touted the benefits, voted against the infrastructure bill and then touted the benefits, all while the congresswoman said she didn't remember or would have to ask her staff. So I think this revealed two things. First, that many members of Congress don't ever read bills. They just read the whip notices that tell them how to vote or let their staff read the whip notices and tell them how to vote. And secondly, Kristen Welker, take note. This is the interview strategy that works. Mm-hmm. Don't, move, don't move on because the, the moment is awkward and you have 10 other topics you want to get in your allotted time. Keep at it until you either get an answer or you expose the person as having no answer. Jim DeFeedy, come take over Meet the Press. <laughs> Good point. Arthur, this happens all the time, right? These people vote against the infrastructure stuff and then they show up at the ribbon cuttings. Yes, it's it's happened a lot. It's very routine, and and I I do think uh, it's fair to call it hypocritical. Yeah, good, Arthur. What was your story of the week? I would like to praise Kadia Goba uh, from Semaphore for reaching out to Bill De Blasio today on the tenth anniversary of his murdering a groundhog. Because <laughs> <laughs> he dro- he dropped the groundhog, he dropped it and it died. I forgot about that. That's right. And so he didn't say anything that funny, but it's just hilarious incident. Uh, that groundhog definitely saw his shadow. And uh, Kadia, he told Kadia, uh, you know, at any event at seven in the morning featuring an agitated live animal doesn't end well. It's so true, sir. So true, oh, man. Oh. There again, that's why we need good journalists on the job, right? Mm. <laughs> Not the rest of us. Uh, how about you, Linda? Help us out here. So, so I've been thinking a lot about old people, and as oh. I as I approach the age of Medicare, I maybe I'm thinking too much about this. But my my favorite story was about a a, a woman in British Columbia who's 99 years old and who huh. just broke three world records as a swimmer, three world oh. records in, in her age group. So she's 99, but she counted as 100 because it's based on the birth year, but. I mean, I can barely swim a lap, so I'm. <laughs> my hat's off to her. I saw that story. I thought it was remarkable. Yeah, that, that she still swims. Well, um, I got to tell you, my favorite story. Back to the political scene. Uh, it was reported this week. New York Times has a big story this morning that they've added up how much Ron DeSantis, how much money Ron DeSantis spent on his. Um, incredibly powerful and impressive <laughs> presidential campaign. Uh, it wasn't so long ago we all talked about him as God's gift to American politics. That certainly sputtered out. But in the time that he was running, they spent $160 million pumping Ron DeSantis, all of which gave him second place in one state 
for a total of 23,420 votes. With the help of my computer this morning and my calculator, I figured out that that is $7,000 per vote that they paid (laughs) for the people who showed up in the Iowa caucus. Uh, I don't know what that says other than the insanity of American politics today in this political system. And also, (laughs) what um, an unattractive and ineffective and hopeless loser candidate Ron DeSantis was. And shame on us. We should have known that all from the beginning, I guess. But anyhow, $160 million down the drain for nothing. But it gives us something to talk about here on the roundtable. We talked a lot about Ron DeSantis over the years, so maybe for that we're grateful. We're certainly grateful to our panelists for joining us again today. Follow them when they're not on the Bill Press Pod. Jeff Dufer at the National Journal, Editor-in-Chief. Arthur Delaney at HuffPost, Political Reporter. And Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief and White House Correspondent for Christian Science Monitor. And thanks to all of you for joining us again. We'll be back on Tuesday talking to Brian Stelter, the former host of CNN's Reliable Sources. He has a new book out about Fox News called The Network of Lies. And we will also talk to him about the massive layoffs and firings in the journalism industry today. That's next Tuesday. We'll see you then on the next edition of the Bill Press Podcast.